Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 117. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of Lendit. Today's episode is brought to you by Lendit Europe 2017, happening in London on October 9th and 10th. This will be Europe's largest international lending and fintech event of the year, with over a 1,000 people expected. Lendit Europe 2017 will pack more content and networking opportunities than ever before into two full days. This year's conference features over 150 speakers and one of the largest expo halls in Europe, with over 70 exhibitor booths. You can register now at lendit.com. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Patricia Voorhees. She is a director at the Alter Group, and they're an advisory firm that focuses on the equipment finance space. And Patricia has spent a good chunk of her career in this space and knows it intimately. So I wanted to get her on the show because we've, we're now 117 episodes in and we've never covered this, you know, huge asset class. It's well over a trillion dollars. And I felt like that was it was time. So got Patricia on the show. We wanted to talk about just how large the market is, the kind of performance that these these loans have, who is financing equipment, how the industry is changing, how it's adapting to technology. What are some of the fintech players that are really coming up and you know innovating in the space and also where she feels like the industry is going. It was a fascinating interview and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Patricia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I like to get these things started with uh, giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. Can you just share sort of what you've done you know, before the Alter Group and what you've done over your career? I would be happy to. You know, it's actually it's interesting when I look back on my career that I've, I've ended up currently focusing on, on a couple of things that I really actually do love, which is technology and financing and 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 putting creative deals together because I actually began my career at IBM. And at IBM, I worked on their large accounts and initially I worked on things like artificial intelligence and this was quite a while ago and and relational database technology. So I worked with large clients and ultimately was recruited by one of them, GE Capital. And I spent uh, most of my career at GE Capital in various marketing roles. And I actually led a team that did private label alliances for their vendor finance group. And then from there, I went on to the major markets and acquisitions team at a time where G- when GE was very acquisitive and was, was fortunate to lead many ac- acquisitions for GE Capital. And from there, went to lead the office imaging finance business. So I learned a lot about small ticket finance and what happened selling the small business through the channel. And then from there, I actually led pricing across all of GE Capital's uh, product lines and joined the Alta Group a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago now. And at the Alta Group, I focus on two things. One is is working on strategic consulting with clients. And, and for my part, that is often in conjunction with mergers and acquisition or alliance-related types of, of activities. Okay. So so then can you just tell us a little bit then about what, what the Alta Group does overall? Like what is the, the mission of the company? Sure. Well, the mission of the company is to be the most trusted advisor in the asset finance space. 
the company was started better than, I'm going to say almost 25 years ago, so it was 1992. And it was started by a couple of principals who had run leasing companies. So it started very much focused on the equipment leasing marketplace and doing strategic consulting for senior level executives in that space. And from there, a number of additional capabilities have, have been added on. We certainly still continue to do strategic consulting across all sorts of things. It could be looking at new market entry or benchmarking or any issue or opportunity a client might have. And we also do things like uh, in asset management, we support valuation and sale of all sorts of, of assets from you know, computer equipment to barges to aircraft. Uh, we have uh, we due diligence support, expert witness type of work. And then the group where I spend a fair amount of my time is the Mergers and Acquisitions Advisory Group, where we advise clients in, in acquisitions and sales and capital raising and alliances specific to the asset finance space. And we have a newer practice over the last couple of years that's been working to date with our more traditional bank and independent leasing companies, helping them look at their level of digitization and right. areas of opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. We have there's about 60 of us around the globe, about half from the U.S., and then we have a decent concentration in Western Europe and in South America and a couple in China. Okay. Okay, so I, I'm curious about the the equipment finance space. We've actually never had, we've never really focused on it here uh, on the podcast, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to get you on. But uh, can you just give us a sense of of how big the equipment finance market is in the US? Yes, I can. You know, it's interesting. I was just looking through this data for our clients, and the U the US market for equipment equipment. This past year, 2016, and actually the forecast for the current year, is $1.6 trillion. So it's a huge market. And if you look at that, there's data that the Equipment Leasing and Finance Association tracks about how much of that is financed in some way. And, and about a trillion of that trillion six is financed in some way. Hmm. So the other $600 billion, I take it, is bought in cash. Is that, was that fair to say? Right. And so you, you, you touched on it a little bit there where a few minutes ago, you, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the type of equipment. I mean, 1.6 trillion, that's a massive number. And yeah, it's one of the biggest verticals there is. And it's, you know, we just don't really talk about it. And obviously things like aircraft is, is probably a, a very big part of that. But what other, can you just give us some sense of all the different types of equipment we're talking about here? Sure. So it just really spans the gamut of, of anything. But if I look at the top concentrations, Peter, across the board, it is transportation is is is, is first up, followed by things like ag equipment for 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 agriculture and construction, technology and software and telecom and office imaging are big groups. As is, as you said, aircraft with corporate air and commercial that tends to be larger ticket things. If you look specifically at the smaller ticket space, that is transactions that are under a half a million dollars in size, the top four rounding that out would be agriculture, construction, office imaging, IT, and then uh, rounding up coming around the bottom of that would be medical. Right. But okay. it's also like furniture or, you know, kiosks or any kind of tangible asset that can be financed. Right, right. Okay. So let's talk about that, like that smaller end of the market. I'm curious 
on in that because obviously, you know, a, a plane is going to have a very, you know, there's going to be a limited number of companies or entities that are going to be interested in financing that. But obviously, if you've got a, you know, a $200,000 piece of equipment and you're a small business owner, you know, you've probably got lots of options. So what are the typical ways today that, that small business owners are financing their equipment? So if you look at how there, if you look at data for that last year, so there's, there's about, call it for small ticket items, about 20, 20, depending on if you're looking at under 25,000 or up to 250,000 in purchase size, it's somewhere between 20 and 40% of transactions are done through leases. Mm-hmm. Uh, somewhere between 10 and 20 are done through secured loans. About 10% is in cash. Somewhere between, call it 20 and 30% is line of credit, and somewhere between 15 and 30 is a credit card purchases. Okay, so then, like, who who are the companies that are providing these these loans? I mean, I, I know that I've shared this with you earlier that you know I used to run a small business. I ran a, I ran a printing company, and I have financed my equipment. Uh, it was actually originally my original one was through Wells Fargo, and then uh, ended up being through Hewlett Packard, which was the equipment that I was actually buying. So uh, is this, I mean, are most of them like the, these captive finance companies, like obviously like Hewlett Packard had Hewlett Packard financing something, but, you know, obviously Wells Fargo is a, is a bank. Who are the, the main companies that are doing this financing? Sure. So I'll, I'll do it in, in categories. So the, the three biggest, biggest categories of types of companies are ones that provide direct financing. And so that would be, an example would be a very large ticket transaction, maybe let's call it maybe even a commercial aircraft transaction between a finance source and an investment-grade customer. And so those are direct deals, they're large deals, they're done by like, by the likes of the B of A and, and some of the larger banks that have, and that have uh, U.S. banks that have direct commercial finance reps that work with these large companies. The largest combined category besides direct, however, is captive and vendor. So you mentioned on the captive side, that is people like HP, like IBM Global Finance, John Deere Finance, CAP. So the companies that really use financing to facilitate the sale of their equipment and facilitate the flow of it through their distribution channel. Mm-hmm. There's another category, which is vendor finance. So if you look, for example, that was one of the largest businesses that GE Capital was in. And in that business, they had they had folks, and I had a team of people that did just this, that went out in the medical space and in office imaging and in furniture and fixtures and in material handling and worked with the largest manufacturers who didn't themselves have captives and set up either exclusive if they were quite large, potentially private label, or damn referral relationships with these manufacturers. And sometimes those were coupled with, with marketing incentives and things for, for businesses to, to purchase. So those are the three main categories. Now in the vendor space, GE Capital so that's Wells Fargo, so people like Wells Fargo and KeyBank and U.S. Bancorp are, are large in the, in the vendor space. Okay, so I'm curious about, I know you, you shared this slide at Lendit, and I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, I would like you to share it here about the loan performance. So you've got these, obviously there's, there's coming off balance sheets um, for the most part, I guess, in, in those, those companies. But your know, loan performance, because I mean, my, my, uh, my particular loan I got was a very low interest rate. It was, you know, I think it was like five and a half percent or something. This was 15 years ago. But 
I'm curious, like obviously you've got these are these loans are you know for the most part you know if they're captive there these are secured loans or even with a bank are they going to take a lien on the equipment? So how how do these loans perform? They actually perform excellent, and yeah, as I highlighted at at the Lendit conference, if you look over the last twenty years, the only tracked asset class that performed better than equipment leasing is U.S. Treasury. Mm-hmm. And so they tend to perform very well. There's some reasons for that. One you mentioned is that uh, unlike a small business loan where there tends to be a general lien that's taken against the business, this is a specific UCC placed against that particular piece of equipment. And secondly, and, and, and more importantly, I think, in terms of performance, is often the equipment that is financed is essentially used for the business. So if you own a small construction company and, and you're out leasing some construction equipment, you will make sure that you make that construction payment because without it, you cannot generate revenue. So the, the essential use element of much of this, these assets really mm-hmm. helps drive that performance. And, and it continues. If you look over the last uh, year, delinquency across the entire market is, or in, in, in the trend in the last month, was that at 1.4% of, of average receivables and losses are, are at just, just under 40 basis points. Wow, 40 basis points. That's fantastic. So do you have any stats about the recession, like the, the financial crisis? Obviously, you know, defaults spiked across pretty much every category. Do you have any stats on, on the numbers there? Yes. During the recession, uh, the, the high water market, it varied greatly in terms of, of collateral types and, and ticket size. But it went, at its worst, it was, it was probably right around and under 4%. Right. So it went up you know, significantly, but still, you know, compared to credit cards or just about any other kind of loan, it, it obviously still stayed fairly, fairly low. So then I, I'm curious about the small business owners that are, that are taking out these, these leases or these secured loans. I mean, how, how is that changing? I mean, we've seen a lot of change in the small business space with companies like Cabbage and On Deck coming in and really automating the process, you know, in the case of cabbage, it's 100% uh, automated. And, you know, obviously uh, leasing is a little bit different, but can you give us a sense that, you know, how, how small business owners are changing when it comes to their expectations of, of these types of loans? Sure. Well, and actually to do that, I'll, I'll just back up and talk about exactly how, you know, small businesses access this, this type of financing. And often it is, as I mentioned, either through a captive that might have programs that are available through a dealer. So if you go to your John Deere dealer, you, you, they have financing that they can provide for you. And if you are a manufacturer like Komatsu, you have a program with one of the vendor finance companies who, you, who your sales folks or your dealer can offer to someone who's financing. Interestingly, when you look at, at, at small businesses, however, and look at the reach of leasing as a percentage of the financing, I mentioned before around what's called around a third of all the, the equipment that's financed is done through leasing. And so that means there are actually a fair amount of smaller businesses to whom the reach of captives and to whom the reach of, of vendor programs don't necessarily reach. So that's one piece of it. Another piece of it is that the fact that when you're buying a piece of equipment, there's three parties in the transaction and not two, like mm-hmm. a small business loan. You have the lender and you have the small business. 
an equipment lease, you have the vendor, you have the lender, and you have the small business. And that has operational implications and it has implications in terms of the interest of the party, but it also has had implications in terms of how quickly equipment leasing has come up the curve for, for innovation. And I think for those reasons, it's actually lagged behind other pieces of the overall fintech space. However, one of the trends that is really, I think, beginning to change that dynamic is about how customers, small business desires for how they're buying equipment. If you look at the most recent uh, Forrester research on B2B e-commerce for equipment and supplies, they talk about a number of just under $900 billion going to $1.2 trillion being done over e-commerce. Now, that's not just for equipment, that's for supplies and some other components, but all B2B-based. But if you look at that trend together with what we track in leasing that shows more and more financing is happening through, through captives and through vendor relationships, and increasingly the financing decision is being made at point of sale and more of that equipment is being made, it's being sold online with strong mobile types of capabilities. So that's driving behavior, it's driving where small businesses look for financing, it's driving where they want to see the financing solutions displayed, and it's beginning to drive innovation in the space overall. So that, that's interesting to me because, I, you know, I'm, I'm curious about how the, the captive finance companies, even the banks that are providing these kinds of equipment loans, are they becoming more automated? I was out at, uh, the, we, you know, where we, we spoke on the same panel out at the CEMC uh, event out in California uh, a couple of months ago, and I, mean, I was talking to people around there around at that event, and I was struck by how many a lot of them are fairly small companies and they're all paper-based and they're providing financing pretty much the same way they provided it 25 years ago. And so how much innovation is actually happening today? Well, so I think there's pockets of it. So if you look at the more traditional players that have been around, you know, 10 plus years, if there's some spots that, for example, if you look at Ascension Capital, they earlier this year were given a breakthrough award for the the best business lending fintech platform, and they've spent a lot really automating and especially on the front end to their dealers and their end customers. You look at someone like a legacy company like IBM and Global Finance, their CEO, Ginny Rometty, has been very clear that they're one of the places that they're prototyping blockchain is in their global finance company looking at global asset and, and lease reconciliation. Hmm. So I think there are pockets of it where there are, are more traditional companies that are taking or deciding where they really want to focus and try and accelerate technology. But if you were to look at the curve, I think what you heard of the CEMC is probably the majority. That most, most have some legacy systems, and it's not only systems, it's processes. Because if you think about how vendor finance companies have organized operationally and in their own sales teams to, to be synergistic with the sales and operational organizations of the manufacturers, there's a whole lot of legacy systems and processes there. And so when you think about selling equipment entirely online and integrating the financing at the point of sale, that is really, that's a, that's a whole different, you know, that's a whole different species in terms right. of how you, yeah, you have technology and how you have to make it available. So I think we're beginning to see some some models, more fintech models enter the space, but by and large, the biggest portion of, and it's not equipment leasing companies have always invested in technology, you know, for credit and, and asset management and such, but really having that automated end-to-end -end and having each of those pieces integrated, 
there's a long way to go. Right. So, so you, you mentioned, you know, point of sale and, and mobile. I mean, where are you seeing applications that are really, you know, what, what kinds of industries, what kinds of places are you seeing the real innovation for, you know, when it comes to, you know, point of sale? Cause I imagine that, you know, it's, if you can do something, you know, on an iPad in, you know, very, in an efficient way, you're going to, you're going to make more sales. So I imagine that there is some innovation. So where, where, what areas are you seeing that? So it's in a few spaces. One is, is one that I wouldn't, if I was calling, I probably guessed was, was going to be among the first, but it is actually in yellow metal in construction and ag types of, of spaces and spaces where there is not only a strong primary, but a, a strong secondary market, which helps kind of with the, the credit side of that. And then it's, it's, in, it's in technology and just broad B2B types of equipment. So people like eBay, mm-hmm. who are selling a pretty broad swath of equipment as financing capabilities. Right, right. And it's funny because I mean, I also, just as an aside, like I, I ran into an old friend of mine who works at Caterpillar. And, you know, we're actually at the airport and we just ran into each other and he was on the phone and I heard him talking about, you know, uh, machine learning and big data and, and doing data analytics. And it was like, it was funny because I felt like I could have been, this could have been at a, a, on a, a fintech call for all the different, the terminologies he was using. So, I mean, are the, the big companies, are they really, you know, starting to adapt in, you know, taking the technology that's been developed in other industries and applying it to their own? Yeah, Peter, I think they are. And I think the other thing that's really affecting this is the smartness of the assets themselves. You use the example of CAD, and if you took a look at CAT and Deer, who are a couple of the biggest players in the ag space, if you look at a combine or a tractor, boy, they're not they're not the combine or tractor of 10 or 20 years ago. Those are very smart devices that are highly automated and gather all sorts of data and information about usage and operation that was not the case years ago. So that changes a lot of things. It changes certainly the way the, the equipment is used. But it also changes the ways in which you can you can fathom financing it. It really does enable things like thinking about usage-based types of financing solutions, where you could do that real time because you're getting you know, through the Internet of Things data that's telling you exactly how equipment is being used. And you know, I tell you, in the, in the commercial fleet financing space right now, that type of information and data is is very much a part of the overall financing and and bundled right yeah no that, that that makes sense and even in the printing industry from 10 years ago i remember when we had our printing presses that they would connect into hp servers and they would know exactly how we were using that printing press and i imagine that was that was 10 years ago it's, it's gotten a lot better so that, that that makes perfect sense to me so then what is the opportunity here for yeah, for new companies entering the market, for fintech companies, I mean, where where is the opportunity for disruption in this, you know, asset-based uh, finance market? Well, so I think it's in a few places, and I'll highlight three of them. One is just really access and awareness, Peter. We are finding that the further you go down in terms of size of business, understanding that equipment leasing is an option that they have and where and how to get at it and how it might be an attractive option to them versus a loan or using a corporate credit card or working capital or, or cash. So I think just that's a big number. The numbers I mentioned before were, were big numbers, right? So $300 billion of a trillion that finances is leases. Then there's a whole lot right now that's opportunities if you're going to do 
are looking to do equipment leases that you have some runway, not to mention, you know, taking a percentage of what's cash today. So, so getting at a big market is one, Peter, and, and leveraging technology to do that in a smart way. The second thing that I would say is at point of sale because the, the mobile purchase of equipment if you look at it, where where the desires of end users and demographic changes, I think that trend is only going to accelerate. So the opportunity to really have innovative and accessible financing at point of sale is important. And some of the early clients we've spoken to in the space that are partnering in that way with sellers of equipment online are finding that there's real advantages to customers in terms of uh, the size of the sale that, that is done and the, and the likelihood that it actually is sold. And the third one, and this is a trend across the equipment leasing marketplace, is a trend towards more bundled and usage-based solutions. In the industry, we call that an MSQ or managed solutions transaction. And we opened up with commissions last year to do a research white paper on that topic. And three, there, there was about five or six of us who participated in and doing that, we reached out to 85 different companies in the space. And our research tells us that all of the companies, regardless of industry that they played in, were getting more and more calls from end customers on bundled solutions with services, software, supplies, and more usage-based offerings. And the overall estimate was that about 20-22% of the market in the next couple of years will be that type of product. So I think there's there is financing product innovation on its way that will be distinct from what has been in place from a risk standpoint for years in equipment leasing, which is the hell or high water lease, which can frankly have some interesting implications in terms of how and who plays in the market, like mm-hmm. banks, for example, mm-hmm. how they get their heads around changes that might mean for them. Right, right. Okay, so then who oh, – you mentioned, you've mentioned one or two names already, but I'd like to get your sense on – who are the more interesting companies that are that are innovating, that are really doing interesting things in this space? Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll throw a few of them. One of them, and we've talked a lot about point of sale, so, so one I'll throw out is currency capital. Mm-hmm. And currency is very much focused on integrating financing at point of sale. And so they have and are working on adding more you know, flagship customer relationships. One that they highlight is with eBay. And so if, you are a, if you're a business customer and you're looking at a piece of business equipment and you look at a financing option, it is actually currency in the background who is, who is financing that. And they have a model where they do some financing on their, on their own balance sheet and also manage, manage a marketplace, an automated marketplace. So they would be an example. There are others, for example, one that is focused more on the subscription base is a company called Lift Forward, and they actually have a, a relationship with Microsoft for their Surface tablets, and they are some that are focused on very specific verticals. There's a company out there called SparkFund, and what SparkFund does is they work with with resellers and implementers of solutions for energy efficiency, whether that's LEDs or, or HVAC, and they put together financing solutions that upgrade and save save. On energy, they map the payments to the actual timing of the savings. And there's another one out there called, called Lease Q that has looked at different lease verticals or industry verticals and allows customers directly or through vendors to get multiple quotes for financing and get some 
and then have those routed to to financing sources. So there's a, there's a few, and mm-hmm. we're beginning to we're beginning to see more interest in the space from not only traditional lenders who have, who have been around for quite a while, but some of the more fintech entrants that came in at Mino and other products. Right, right. So are we seeing some you know some real partnerships happening between these these new fintech companies you mentioned and and some of the legacy players? And the one is and H2O is, is lived forward in their partnership with with Microsoft for the surface. I think was a, was a, an interesting one. And you know, many of these companies, when I when I speak with with their CEOs, they are very much focused on a if not a single a, a dual leg strategy. One of which is going out and partnering with legacy companies to to leverage their fintech capability and do it in a white label kind of way. And, and similarly, we've had conversations with our large clients that are, that are captive finance organizations or in, independent finance organizations that we mm-hmm. might look to align rather than, than build or even have a, a referral for some of their declines. So we're right. starting to see them. I think, I, think that's, I think the pace is going to pick up here. Right. Okay. Okay. So, so we're almost out of time, but just one last question here about the equipment finance space. And, you know, if, if we get together again in like, you know, two or three years, what, what will have changed? What do you think is, you know, is coming down the, down the track the next couple of years? Well, you know, I think, I think three things are going to change. I think one, we will see a lot more, a lot more of the, the leasing not being done in traditional leasing, but being done in some sort of bundles or usage base. So I think there's going to be a movement there in, on that side of it. Secondly, I think that the trend on point of sale will really continue. So, and I think that has the potential to maybe even shift the players that are in this market. If you, you know, if you look, for example, the Amazon example, then you really have to look at who are the successful sellers of equipment. And some of those answers are different than some of the other, you know, traditional sellers of equipment. So I think we might see some shifts there. And the third thing is I think that, that there will be a little bit more fluidity of product. So depending on how a customer is accessed by a vendor or captive or point-of-sale related solution, I think the technology allows allows the, the finance source to really look at what the right product is. Is it, in fact, an equipment lease or is it a loan or is it working capital and is there some migration amongst those products? So I think this may be some more fluidity of product. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we'll have to leave it there, but it's, it's going to be fascinating to see. I think it's a... You know, it's obviously a massive vertical that, you know, I think more people should be paying attention to. So anyway, thanks for being on the show today, Patricia. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay. See ya. Bye-bye. That point of sale trend that Patricia just talked about is super interesting to me. You've got companies like Green Sky and Affirm that are really transforming a point of sale, whether it's uh, physically or online. And I think the same thing I could see happening to equipment finance. You know, these are not that much different when it comes to, you know, buying a couch as buying a tractor. I mean, I'm sure there are, there certainly are differences, but the reality is the processes can indeed be very similar. And I think we're going to see a big movement to point of sale um, in equipment finance and in all other areas of finance. And it's going to happen much, much quicker than people think. That's, that's what I, uh, that's my idea. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I would like to very much thank you for listening and I will catch you next time. Bye. 
This episode was sponsored by Lendit Europe 2017, Europe's largest international lending and fintech event. It will be held in London on October 9th and 10th of this year. To find out more and to register, just go to lendit.com.